0: Francis Fatigue. It's settling in to Rome. And today we're going to discuss the Deimos memo. Deimos, Demos Memo. Demos, D E M O S. It's the Greek word for people. It is the anonymous name of someone. Many spe- uh, speculate that it is a cardinal who has written this, but it is an outlined memo of the failures and the disappointments, and the confusions that Pope Francis Bergoglio has brought into the Catholic Church. This is not, some some say, maybe Vigano wrote this. No, it doesn't read like Vigano. I'm almost certain this is not Vigano. This is someone else. And it seems like a cardinal, a level-headed cardinal, who has shown a light. On what everyone is thinking. So today we're going to go through the Deimos memo. Again, it's anonymous. We don't know who wrote it. It's been circulating for a month now, actually a little over a month amongst the Cardinals. And this is going to give everyone sort of a sneak peek. We're going to get to pull back the veil, go into the halls of Vatican City and see the mind, see the thoughts of the people that work there. The people who are surrounding Pope Francis and his policies, and his decisions, and in his actions, and his statements, and see what they think, and then also, what is the next step forward in electing another pope? And I would even say, if you watched my podcast from last week, we need to begin the process of St. Robert Bellarmine in his book, De Ecclesia where he outlines the process of a deposition of a pope who is either A, suspected of heresy, or B, tyrannous. Robert Bellarmine gives the answer. You can watch that podcast from last week. And that's just a reminder, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss any of these shows. You can hit the subscription button in the bottom right corner. And while we're at it, please like and please share on Twitter and Facebook. By the way, Twitter is finally coming back alive now that Elon Musk has bought it. Uh, just in the past 24 hours, I suddenly got 2,000 new followers. I think that means conservative voices like myself, Christian voices, Catholic voices were being shadow banned uh, over the past ooh, however many years. And maybe things are coming back alive. So uh, if you want to follow me over Twitter, it's my handle is Taylor R Marshall. There's an extra R in there. Taylor, R Marshall over on twitter let's begin with the prayer we'll pray the our father together and then we'll look at this demos memo and an outline of problems in the pontificate of pope francis Oremus, nomine patris et fidei et spiritus sancti amen pater noster qui est in ceilis sanctificeter nomen tuum advenia regnum tuum fia voluntas tuas cut in cello et in terra pana nostrum quotidianum la nobis hodie. Et demite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimittimas debitoribus nostris, et nenos inducas and in tentationem, se libera nos somalo. Amen. Nomine patris et fidi et spiritus sancti. Amen. All right, if you'd like to read what I'm going to cover today, you can go over to Le Espresso, Sandro Magister, and uh, here's what I'm reading from today. I'm reading the English. The memorandum on the next conclave is circulating amongst the cardinals. Here it is. Let's get started. All right, I'm just going to read for those of you just joining. This is the memo of an anonymous, perhaps cardinal, who goes by the fake name Deimos. And he describes what it's like in the Vatican today, what it's like in Rome. And I think everyone who watches this podcast will be very interested. First off, the opening paragraph here, I believe it's probably written by Sandro, is, Since the beginning of Lent, the cardinals, who will elect the future pope, have been passing this memorandum around. Its author, who goes by the name of demos meaning people in Greek, is unknown, but shows himself a thorough master of the subject. It cannot be ruled out that he himself is a cardinal. And now we begin. Here's the memo. Quote, Commentators of every school, if for different reasons, with the possible exception of Father Spadaro, S.J., agree that this pontificate is a disaster, in many or most respects, a catastrophe, end quote. So that's the beginning. So right off the bat, this anonymous author, presumably in the Vatican, calls this Pontificate of Francis a disaster and a catastrophe. Now he he does bullet points here. So here's bullet point number one. He says, The successor of St. Peter is the rock on which the church is built, a major source and cause of worldwide unity. Historically, St. Irenaeus, the Pope, and the Church of Rome have a unique role in preserving the apostolic tradition, the rule of faith, and ensuring that the churches continue to teach what Christ and the apostles taught. Previously, it was Roma locuta causa finita est, Today, and by the way, that's Latin, Rome has spoken, the case is finished. That's it. He says, today it is Roma loquitor confusio agator. right. Rome is smoke, uh, spoken and there's confusion is expanding. Confusion everywhere. He then says, the German synod speaks of homosexuality, women priests, communion for the divorced, The papacy is silent. Now, let me just pause here. This is something that I keep coming back to. The papacy is there to teach and to correct. And when you have the wealthiest, the wealthiest Episcopal Conference, the German Conference of Bishops, openly rejecting Catholicism, rejecting sacred scripture, and rejecting sacred tradition on homosexuality, women's ordination, communion for the divorce, it must be corrected. It must be. Often on this podcast, I'll talk about things that Francis has has said or written that are erroneous, Even heretical, like his February 2nd statement, that you cannot do anything, not with apostasy, schism, or heresy, to remove yourself from the church or to remove yourself from the communion of saints. That is false. And it is heretical. I'll give my classic disclaimer. I'm just a dad on this webcam. I don't have any authority in the church. But I can see heresy. I know what heresy is. I can read Francis and I can read Pius XII side by side in columns and it's a direct refutation of what Pius XII taught on removing yourself from the church through schism, heresy, and apostasy. But another part of this is that there it's what Francis says, but it's also what Francis doesn't say. If you have dozens of bishops flaunting the one true faith and you remain quiet and you give them positions of power and you restore them after scandal as he did with Cardinal Marx and praise them. That is almost as bad as just outright teaching heresy because those that want to sin, see it and sin boldly. And those that want to be Catholic and try to be chaste, and live by the Spirit and not by the flesh, they see this and they are discouraged. Subpoint B, the memo says Cardinal Hollrich rejects the Christian teaching on sexuality. The papacy is silent. This is doubly significant because the cardinal is explicitly heretical. He does not use code or hints. If the cardinal were to continue without Roman correction, this would represent another deeper breakdown of discipline with few, any question mark, precedents in history. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith must act and must speak. Who? Here's a little trivia for everyone out there. Who is the bishop in the last, well, since Vatican II, everything going on in Vatican II, Who has been excommunicated? There are a few, but the most notable one, Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. The the Archbishop who wanted to say the traditional Latin Mass and preserve a traditional priesthood saying the traditional seven sacraments and the traditional breviary. He was the one who got discipline from Rome, in this case, John Paul II. All the other crazy liberation theology people, people doing mass with invalid bread, people with balloons and clowns and all kinds of sacrilegious things. they don't get disciplined. That's the problem. Sub so point C, The silence is emphasized when contrasted with the active persecution of the traditionalists and the contemplative convents. So if you want to get in trouble, with your local pastor, deacon, bishop, cardinal, pope. Ask for the Latin Mass. Ask for the Latin Mass. Say, I want the Latin Mass. And see if you get invited to any ecclesiastical function, dinner, anything. You'll be blackballed. Do you think that the popular mainstream Catholic outlets call me anymore to speak am i ever anymore i used to be a keynote speaker no because i am standing with the traditionalists. i am standing with the latin mass i'm saying i don't want this nonsense i don't want a clown mass i don't want a priest getting jiggy with it on the altar as i've shown y'all in clips I mean, the clips keep coming more and more and more because of COVID. People are videoing all these things. It's not just some weird thing that happened in the 70s. It is now. It is this year. The only people who are having liturgical rites, liturgical functions banned and suppressed and restricted are those that want to have the traditional Latin mass, period. Show me anyone else. All right, the memo. Number two, the Christocentricity of teaching is being weakened. Christ is being moved from the center. Sometimes Rome even seems to be confused about the importance of strict monotheism, hinting at some wider concept of divinity. Not quite pantheism, but like a Hindu pantheism variant. It's the whole idea. I mean, Oprah will call up the universe. You know, just speak out to the universe speak to the universe, be positive, be in touch with the universe, be one with the universe. But modernists, priests, bishops, cardinals, they're a little bit more careful, right? They kind of speak of the people of God and transcendence and the mystery of God and the common fraternity of all religions and all peoples and the lesser lights of divinity and other religions, lesser lights of truth sprinkled all over. And that if you just believe in those little sprinkles of truth, you'll be saved. I've talked about this for this is kind of the Bishop Barron idea. All religions, according to him, have lesser lights. We know that Jesus is the light of the world. Ergo, the lesser lights and other religions are Jesus Christ. And if you believe in those lesser lights, you're somehow believing in Jesus and you are justified Original sin is washed away from you without baptism, according to this view. And you are anonymously a Christian, even though you might formally reject Christianity. You might be a Muslim and say, no, of course, Jesus isn't fully God. He's not the son of God. But yet, these people, like Rahner, Bishop Baring, say, yeah, but they really are. They just don't really know it. Subpoint A, 2A, the memo says, Pachamama is idolatrous perhaps it was not intended as such initially the contemplative nuns are being persecuted and attempts are being made to change the teaching of the teachings of the charismatics so nuns now there's this new document from rome that's basically interfering with cloistered nuns forcing them to leave their convents to go to workshops conferences advanced education Instead of them staying as a community behind the grill, as a cloistered community, they're being asked to leave that, to break that. That's not traditional. It's not Catholic. We need to defend these brides of Christ to remain where they made vows to be. They don't need to go off to a conference on how to be a Carmelite Mother Superior. They need to be in their Carmel praying becoming like the little flower. Two, subpoint C, the Christocentric legacy of St. John Paul II and faith and morals is under systematic attack. Many of the staff of the Roman Institute for the family have been dismissed. Most students have left. The Academy for Life gravely damaged. For example, some members recently supported assisted suicide. The pontifical academies have members and visiting speakers who support abortion. End quote. Yes, the Institute for Family is wrecked. The Pontifical Academy for Life, it's wrecked. Now, I would say some of these problems were actually introduced under John Paul II. I know you're going to throw bricks at me, throw a tomato at the screen. But, you know, he's the one who brought in altar girls. He was fine with women Eucharistic ministers and women lectors and all kinds of things. Uh, the Assisi meeting. A Buddha on a tabernacle, a Buddha on an altar. These kind of things were already happening in the 80s. I don't want to appeal to that legacy. I want to appeal back further when we didn't have these shenanigans going on. Where ecumenism wasn't a virtue. Missionary evangelization was a virtue, was a goal. We didn't want people to dialogue with us. We wanted people to receive the sacrament of baptism and the remission of sins, like we say in the creed every week and hopefully every night when you pray the rosary with the Apostles' Creed. That's real Catholicism. That's real Christianity. You read the New Testament, you read the book of Acts, you read the apocalypse, there's none of this idea that there are people out there that you just need to kind of have a friendly conversation with and that's you did your job as a Christian. God desires all men to be saved. God desires all men to be baptized in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Not to be a virtuous pagan or to be a better Muslim or be a better Buddhist or a better Hindu and worship an elephant head better than everybody else. No, you got to reject the idols. You got to reject the heresies, reject the false religions and come into the truth. The way, the truth and the life, Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through him. Period. Close the book. That's it. Memo. Point three. The lack of respect for the law and the Vatican risk becoming an international scandal. These issues have been crystallized through the present Vatican trial of 10 accused of financial malpractices, but the problem is older and wider. Yes, I agree. The financial scandals of the Vatican are not just under Francis. Do scratch around and read about the Legionaries of Christ and and, uh, Maciel Maciel and John Paul II. It's scary. It's gross. It's sick. Go back to the 1970s and read about the Vatican bank scandals under Pope Paul VI. If you need help on that, I detail all of it in infiltration. There's a whole section on the Vatican Bank scandals. It's sick. It's gross. It's it's connected to heroin and drug trafficking. Subpoint A The Pope has changed the law four times during the trial to help the persecution. That's not just. That's not fair. B, Cardinal Betchu has not been treated justly because he was removed from his position and stripped of his cardinalatial dignities without any trial did not receive due process. Everyone has a right to due process. Now, I'm not any I don't have any sympathy for Cardinal Betchu. You've heard me talk about Cardinal Betchu, And I bet you there's a problem there. So what's interesting about this memo is they have some sympathy towards uh, Betchew. C. The Pope is the head of the Vatican State and the source of all legal authority. He has used this power to intervene in legal procedures. The Pope sometimes parentheses often Rules by papal decrees, moda proprios, which eliminate the right to appeal of those affected. So this kind of brings us back to what I talked about last week with Robert Bellarmine. And I'll just read it for you. The reason for a general counsel, fourth reason, is suspicion of heresy in the Roman pontiff, if perhaps he, it might happen, or if he were to become an incorrigible tyrant. For then a general council ought to be gathered either to depose the Pope if he should be found guilty as a heretic or certainly to admonish him if he seemed incorrigible in morals. We don't just sit around and say, well, it's the Pope, can't do anything about it. If there's tyranny, if there's heresy, according to Robert Bellarmine, papal theologian, cardinals need to get involved. And I'm glad this memo is going around, but it needs to be more than anonymous. It needs to have some teeth. Subpoint E, many staff, often priests, have been sum- summarily dismissed from the Vatican Curia, often without good reason. I think he's talking here about the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. F, phone tapping is regularly practiced. I'm not sure how often it is authorized. G, in the English case against Torzi, the judge criticized the Vatican prosecutors harshly. They are either incompetent or, and or were nobled, preventing, prevented from giving the full picture. H, the raid of the Vatican gendarmeria led by Dr. Gianni in 2017 on the auditor's office on Italian territory was probably illegal and certainly intimidating and violent. It is possible that evidence against Maloney was fabricated. All right, now we move on to... Finances, which is uh, a bullet point four. Four A, these go four A, B, C, D, E, four A. The financial situation of the Vatican is grave. For the past 10 years, at least, there have been nearly always financial deficits. And you'll remember beginning about a year ago, I said, we've been seeing sexual scandals at the Vatican. Get ready to start seeing financial scandals because they don't have the money. He goes on, before COVID, these deficits ranged around 20 million euros annually. That's negative. negative 20 million euros. For the last three years, they have been around 30 to 35 million euros annually. Negative. The problems predate both Pope Francis and Pope Benedict. 4B. The Vatican is facing a large deficit for the pensions fund. Around 2014, the experts from COSIA estimated the deficit would be around 800 million in 2030. But this was before COVID. Now it's worse. 4C. It is estimated that the Vatican has lost 217 million euros on the Sloan Avenue property in London. You've heard me talk about this London property a lot. All right, it's related also to them funding the Elton John documentary, rockumentary, Rocket Man. Rocket Man! In the 1980s, the Vatican was forced to pay out $230 million after the Banco Ambrosiano scandal. See my book, Infiltration, for more details. I talk about this. The memo goes on. Through the inefficiency and corruption during the last 25 to 30 years, The Vatican has lost at least another 100 million euros and it probably would be much higher, perhaps 150 to 200 million euros. And this is why I tell you, do not give money to Peter's pence and in general, do not give money to a bishop's annual diocesan appeal. It is a slush fund. Give your money locally to good convents. Good monasteries, good priests who are celebrating the traditional Latin Mass, local parish communities, pay the light bill, buy a new tabernacle, buy vestments. These are the kinds, I said vestments, not investments. You can buy investments too. Altars, care for the church, subsidiarity, donate locally, understand what your money is doing for the church. It's a good thing. It is evil to waste money. It is evil to throw your money into a diocesan slush fund who knows what they're going to do with that. Yeah, but they were like, the bishops need, like, money and stuff. Look, let the bishops show us that they're serious, that they're orthodox, that they want to save souls. And then we can talk. 4D. Despite the Holy Father's recent decision, the process of investing has not been centralized as recommended by Cosea in 2014 and attempted by the Secretariat for the Economy in 2015 and 16, and remains immune to expert advice. For decades, the Vatican has dealt with disreputable financiers avoided by all respectable bankers in Italy. I explain all this in Infiltration here's the deal. If you are in the mafia, if you run drugs, if you do human trafficking, if you do, if you're a a arms or a gun runner, if you're a a corrupt Chinese billionaire, all these people with lots and lots of money with corrupt business models, like drugs, sex trafficking, they need to do something with their money. They got to move them. They got to put the money places. They got to move the money places. This is why there's money laundering and international money laundering. This is why mafia and and big-time drug dealers always get into this game. Now, I explain this in infiltration. There is one bank in the world that's invisible to all the other banks that has diplomatic immunity, that is not regulated. It is the Bank of the Vatican, the IOR. It is the ideal bank for any criminal. Every criminal wants an invisible bank, a bank with immunity, a bank that's invisible. So don't you think criminals are always, always going to be crawling up to the Vatican Bank and trying through being the guy behind the guy, fake businesses, all kinds of shady things to somehow get involved in the Vatican Bank? You bet you. And that's what happened in the 1970s. It might, there might be a public case in the 60s, I can't remember, but definitely in the 70s, in the 80s, and we're seeing it again. It's because the nature of the Vatican Bank. 4E. The return on the 5261 Vatican properties remained scandalously low. In 2019, the return before COVID was just 4500 a year in 2020 it was 2900 per property so the vatican owns 5261 properties and they charge rent there might be a restaurant in that property right it might have been part of a monastery or something and now it's there's some shopping there or there's a pub or a wine bar right he's saying these aren't run properly it's scandalously low for the income Whoever's running this is doing a poor job. It's kind of even sad as Catholics that we even talk about this, isn't it? 4F. The changing role of Pope Francis in the financial reforms, incomplete but substantial progress as far as reducing crime is concerned, much less successful, except at IOR, Vatican Bank, in terms of profitability, is a mystery and an enigma. Initially, the Holy Father strongly backed the reforms, But then he prevented the centralization of investments, opposed the reforms, and most attempts to unveil corruption, and supported, back then, Archbishop Becciu, who's become kind of the fall guy in all of this, at the center of the Vatican financial establishment. Then, in 2020, the Pope turned on Archbishop Becciu, Cardinal Betu and eventually 10 persons were placed on trial and charged. Over the years, few prosecutions were attempted from AIF reports on infringements. Now, we're still in this... Remember, this is Damos. He's some Vatican insider. We don't know who he is. But he's pulling back the veil, and he's letting us see what's going on inside. The external auditors, Prince Water, Price Waterhouse and Cooper, were dismissed, and the Auditor, auditor General, Libra Maloney, was forced to resign on trumped up charges in 2017. I was actually in Rome in 2017 when that was going on. everyone in those church circles were discussing this. he continues they were coming too close to the corruption of the Secretariat of state. Bullet point point number five we're getting down here I want to go through all these points because it's important. It shows us what's really really, going on, and it shows us the Francis fatigue inside the walls of the Vatican. Number five, the political influence of Pope Francis in the Vatican is negligible. Intellectually, papal writings demonstrate a a decline from the standard of St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict. Decisions and policies are often politically correct, but there have been grave failures to support human rights in Venezuela, Hong Kong, mainland China, and now the Russian invasion. There has been no support for the loyal Catholics in China who have been intermittently persecuted for their loyalty to the papacy for more than 70 years. No public Vatican support for the Catholic community in Ukraine, especially the Greek Catholics, and I think that probably could be revised since this was written. I want to make a comment here, a parenthetical comment. I have noticed when I'm in Rome and I've stayed in the Vatican, I've run in in these circles and, and I've hung out with cardinals and had dinner and archbishops. And so I've kind of heard these conversations again. I'm just, I'm a layman, so I'm not really in their atmosphere, but I've been around and I've noticed that even amongst conservative clerics, there's this idea of John Paul II, Benedict XVI, John Paul II. We just get back to that. And I, I really want to challenge everyone getting back. To the 80s and 90s is is not gonna do it, man. These problems, sexual scandal, heresy, lack of orthodoxy, confusion, ecumenism, uh, stress on dignity, of man over salvation. You know, basically errors of Vatican II kind of stuff. That that's cooked into the pie. It's in the crust. Like, I really want to challenge everyone, cause I used to be that way. I used to be, oh, John Paul to B-16, John Paul to B-16, got to get back. Look, as you study, as you look into the infiltration, you realize, man, we got to go, we got to get back liturgically. We got to get back to the old seminary models. We got to get back to the formation of priests. We got to get back to a faith and morals. Like, there's some high standards that we have fallen from. The 80s and 90s is not it. We've got to ascend on high and restore the kind of Catholicism that was going on with St. Pius X. Early 1900s. Like, we gotta we got to restore sanctity and clarity and orthodoxy and pure morals. Sub point six, and then we'll get to the memo's recommendation on the next conclave, which you'll find interesting. By the way, if you're enjoying this, please like it, thumbs up at this point, share it on Twitter and Facebook, and if you're new, please do subscribe. Sub point six, at a different lower level, the situation of Tridentine traditionalists, Catholics, should be regularized. Thank you very much. We don't like being treated as stepchildren. Or schismatics, which we're not. All we want is to be in the bosom of Holy Mother the Church. All we want to do is be faithful sons of Rome. We want to lay down our lives for a orthodox, courageous, faithful Catholic Pope. That's what we want. By God's grace. At a further and lower level, the celebration of individual and small group masses in the mornings at St. Peter's Basilica should be permitted once again. At the moment, the Great Basilica is like a desert in the early morning. Mm, mm, mm. The COVID crisis has covered up the large decline in the number of pilgrims attending papal audiences and masses. The Holy Father has little support among seminarians and young priests, and widespread disaffection exists in the Vatican Curia. This is why this video podcast is called Francis Fatigue. By the way, vocations of the priesthood since B-16, way down. Way down. This is not, this pontificate is not inspiring Orthodox Catholic young men to give up their lives and give up families and to become continent, celibate, men for their entire lives. It's not inspiring. The next part is, and this is the last part, is his thoughts on the next conclave. The next conclave. Looking past Francis to the next pope. Again, I still think we need to have an investigation. Vigano just called for an investigation on Francis. And I think we need to have an intervention with the Cardinals as directed by Robert Bellarmine, St. Robert Bellarmine. Okay, next conclave. Number one, the College of Cardinals has been weakened. we still here. Yeah, we're going. Okay. The College of Cardinals has been weakened by eccentric nominations and has not recovered after the rejection of Cardinal Casper's views in the 2014 consistory many cardinals are known to one another adding a new dimension of un or unknown I'm, I'm sorry many cardinals are unknown to one another adding a new dimension of unpredictability to the next conclave so what he's saying here is you know before there were consistories and the cardinals were called to rome and you know you might be a cardinal from africa having dinner with a cardinal from mexico or a cardinal from hong kong And you're getting to know each other and you're getting to compare uh, your experience with others in the world and then also your concerns for the church. So you may be totally unaware of what cardinals in Africa are thinking, wanting, desiring, needing if you're a cardinal in South America or, you know, for example, what does the church need in China or Korea or England? Since Pope Francis is no longer having these consistories, meetups, if you want to call them that, that sort of conversation is not happening. And he says, this adds a dimension of unpredictability to the next conclave. In other words, if Francis were to die and everybody comes to Rome, they don't, they're meeting each other for the first time. Number two, after Vatican II, Catholic authorities often underestimated the hostile power of secularization, the world, flesh, and the devil. Especially in the Western world, overestimated the influence and strength of the Catholic Church. He says, We are weaker than 50 years ago, and many factors are beyond our control, in the short term at least. For example, the decline in the number of believers, the frequency of mass attendance, the demise or extinction of many religious orders. You see, Vatican II was optimistic on human nature. Big mistake. Big mistake. The idea. I'm noticing YouTube is dropping me at the, I think at the 30 minute mark or somewhere around there. This never used to happen. And now almost every stream we're getting dropped at 30 minutes or somewhere in the middle. I apologize. We're back. Okay. So I was just talking about, you know, Vatican II had this presumption that everyone just wanted a fair discussion. They were open to the truth, open to Christ open to what the Catholic church said. You know, if you just had a honest heart to heart with somebody, they would be like, you know what? Contraception and abortion are mortal sins. You're right. Let's not do that. We all know living in 2022, that that's not the case. In fact, if you're critical of like a trans reading at an elementary school or a public library, like you could lose your job over that. Like that's how insane public discourse is. And the whole presumption, I was talking to a friend who read the entire documents of Vatican II. Um, And he said, you know, my reflection as I read it, the thing that jumped out over and over was how naive and optimistic the texts are. It's like we're living in the age of Aquarius, 1960s. It's all good. Peace and love. What's funny, if you look at the hippie movement in America, you know, 66, 67, 68, it's all peace and love and groovy and, you know, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and Magical Mystery Tour and Jimi Hendrix and Psychedelic and all that. But if you look at music and culture in 69, 70, 71, 72, it's like Black Sabbath and it's getting dark. Why? Because people realize free love. Love the one you're with. It's all baloney. It turns into chaos, pain, suffering. If you live by the flesh, you die by the flesh. So there's this weird hiccup in the 60s where everyone was like, Pee, scrooby. That's why you see these guitar masses that are Peter, Paul, and Mary. It's kind of that, that, that boomer era. I'm not saying all there's awesome boomers out there, but that boomer era optimism. Unfortunately, is the it's the heir of Vatican II, and this is why Vatican II, I believe, and I have no authority, I'm just a guy, has errors in it, especially when it talks about Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, the way it talks about world religions is just false. So then he goes on to say. Number three here on the next conclave, the Pope does not need to be the world's best evangelist, nor a political force. The successor of Peter as the head of the College of Bishops, also successor of the Apostles, has a foundational role for unity and doctrine. The new Pope must understand that the secret of Christian and Catholic vitality comes from fidelity to the teachings of Christ and Catholic practices. It does not come from adapting to the world or from money. One of the dangerous things that happened with John Paul II is he was a rock star. We all know he was a rock star. He showed up, World Youth Day, JP2, we love you. Poland, traveling all over the world, crowds, Cheer, I mean, it was like Beatlemania. Is that the mold for the papacy? Is that something that we should promote? Is it something that we can keep up with? You know, that was kind of a lot of people's disappointment with Benedict XVI is he's just an old guy. He wasn't a rock star. No one got hyped up. You know, he doesn't have like, the bravado, the swagger that Wojtia had. He's an old German academic who speaks in paragraph long sentences. Maybe we don't need a Pope who's a rock star. Maybe we need a Pope who stays hidden. You know, I think it was was either Pius X or Pius XII. I think it was Pius XII who always, he ate his main meals alone didn't want people coming in and working deals with them and persuading that. He kind of wanted the idea that the papacy is removed. You know, the papacy is not, it's it's not Beatlemania. It's not celebrity. The papacy is there as a shepherd holding a staff to fight off the wolves and to strengthen the brethren, to feed the sheep. That's the job description. That's the job description. Yes, the popes need to get involved in secular politics at times. It's happened all during history in good ways. You know, look at Leo the Great and Gregory the Great. I mean, some, you know, Hildebrand. Some really good things happened. But to sort of put the pope on a stage, I think, is is not healthy. It's cool. It's fun. Wow, we got a popular pope. But I, I don't think that's it. Number four. The first tasks of the new pope will to be restore normality, restore doctrinal clarity in faith and morals, restore a proper respect for the law, and ensure that the first criterion for the nomination of bishops is acceptance of the apostolic tradition. Theological expertise and learning are an advantage, not a hindrance for all bishops and especially archbishops. I would add to this, a man who is in mystical prayer. You know, Thomas Aquinas says, in order to be a deacon, you need to be past the purgative way. In other words, you've got venial sins, uh, mortal sins out of your life, you're fighting venial sins. To be a priest, you need to be in the illuminative way. That means eliminating venial sins. And to be a bishop, you need to be in the unitive way, or the contemplative way, which means you're barely, you're conquering the flesh, you're conquering venial sins but you're you're just you're in communion with God in a mystical way in that sort of saint john of the cross carmelite way that's the vocation so we need bishops who yes will preserve doctrine yes will preserve morality yes will preach and teach but also men who are transformed by the holy ghost saints like in the early church that, that's a lot to ask for i know Five, we're getting to the end here, for the next Pope. If the synodal gatherings continue around the world, they will consume much time and money, probably distracting energy from evangelization and service, rather than deepening these essential activities. If the national or continental synods are given doctrinal authority, we will have a new danger to worldwide church unity, whereby, for example, the German church holds doctrinal views not shared by other churches and not compatible with apostolic tradition. That's the case right now. That's the case right now. The Pope should admonish the German bishops twice, and if they do not change, they should be excommunicated. Perhaps even put under interdict. That's how you do Catholicism. Yeah, but Taylor, that's like so medieval and mean. Yeah. It's called caring for people's souls and charity. You know, if my kids throw the food the dinner on the floor and pull out bags of skittles every night and feast on skittles and i'm just like well i don't want to be mean i don't want to i don't want my kids to feel bad no there'd be i'm not even gonna tell you what would happen you can't throw the dinner on the floor which is orthodoxy doctrine morality and pull out a bunch of rainbow skills and think that's your food that's your nutrition going to be diabetic, rotten teeth, hypoglycemic, not sleeping at night, malnourished, not obeying at school, if you're sitting around eating rainbow Skittles all the time at dinner. No, you're going to eat the good food that Holy Mother Church wants you to eat. If you don't want it, you're going to go to bed hungry. That's called excommunication. And when you're ready to eat good food, you come back. He says, if there was no Roman correction of such heresy, the church would be reduced to a loose federation of local churches holding different views, probably closer to Anglican or Protestant model than the Orthodox model. I've been an Anglican. I was an Anglican cleric, an Anglican priest. You don't want that, people. Where you vote on doctrine. Where Anglicans in Nigeria and Uganda don't agree with Anglicans in Boston on the Trinity, or the Incarnation, or women's ordination. You don't want that, people. Regarding the next Pope, he says, an early priority for the next Pope must be to remove and prevent such a threatening development by requiring unity and essentials, and not permitting unacceptable doctrinal differences. The morality of homosexual activity will be one such flashpoint. I want to stop here and say, why Damos? Here's my criticism for Deimos. Why Damos, Are you talking about the future? Why aren't you talking about the Pope now? Why don't we begin the Bellarmine process and start admonishing Francis to his face instead of hiding behind a fake name? Why don't we say to Francis to his face, this is heretical, this is wrong, this is immoral, this is bad. Like, we can't just shrug our shoulders and say, well, in the next Pope, because how long do you kick the can down the road? Well, the next Pope, well, the next Pope, well, the next Pope. I mean, When I read the book of Galatians, Paul resisted Peter to his face. We need a cardinal out there. Somebody that has a red Beretta, calling a red Beretta out there. Who's going to stand up and resist Francis Bergoglio to his face, like St. Paul. It can't just be a future conclave. Number six, coming to the end. While younger clergy and seminarians are almost completely orthodox, some quite conservative, the new Pope will need to be aware of the substantial changes affected by the church leadership since 2013. Perhaps especially in South and Central America, there is a new spring and step of Protestant liberals in the Catholic Church. He's saying, look, the new bishops in Latin America, heresy, right? We got liberation theology, Growing like weeds down there, why? Because Francis appointed them. He says, "Schism is not likely to occur from the left, who often sit lightly to doctrinal doctrinal issues. Schism is more likely to come from the right, and is always possible when liturgical tensions are inflamed and not dampered." I just want to say. The orthodox, those who stand with Jesus Christ and the faith and the morality and the sacraments and all that, they are never in schism. They're always in communion with Jesus. Right? It's the left who must be put out. The modernist, the heretic. Unity in essentials, diversity in the non-essentials, charity in all issues. Seven, despite the dangerous decline in the West of the inherent fragility and instability in many places, Serious consideration should be given to the feasibility of a visitation on the Jesuit order. They are in a situation of catastrophic numerical decline. From 36,000 members during the council, Vatican II, to less than 16,000 in 2017, with probably 20-25% to 25% over the age of 75. In some places, there is a catastrophic moral decline. I did the numbers a year or two ago based on the the rates here. And I think it is, it's either 2030 or 2035 that the, S, the number of SSPX priests will surpass the number of Jesuit priests globally. Think about that. Put that in your thurible and smoke it. The Jesuit order is highly centralized, susceptible to reform or damage from the top. The Jesuit charism and contribution have been and are so important to the church that they should be allowed to pass, they should not be allowed to pass away into history undisturbed or become simply an Asian African community. A disastrous decline in Catholic numbers and Protestant expansion in South America should be addressed. It was scarcely mentioned in the Amazonian Synod. Yeah, I know. That was crazy, right? We're talking about South America, and the elephant in the room is the charismatic evangelical Pentecostals are eating the lunch of Catholics. Ho hum, who cares? Probably because Francis and the modernists don't care what religion you are. As long as you're just sort of religious and show up at ecumenical meetings, cool. People of God. Final point. We're at the end. Final point. Number nine. Obviously, a lot of work is needed on the financial reforms in the Vatican, but this should not be the most important criterion in the selection of the next Pope. The Vatican has no substantial debts, but continuing annual deficits will eventually lead to bankruptcy. Obviously, steps will be taken to remedy this, to separate the Vatican from criminal accomplices and balance revenue and expenditure. The Vatican will need to demonstrate competence and integrity to attract substantial donations to help with this problem. Yeah, because if you're giving money to do an Elton John rockumentary, Rocket Man, or what was the other one? Men in Black 3. People ain't going to donate to that. Or player pads in London. People don't want to donate to that. Or paying for more and more legal fees because a pedophile priest. Nobody wants to pay for that. Despite the improved financial procedures and greater clarity, continuing financial pressures represent a major challenge, but they are much less important than the spiritual and doctrinal threats facing the church, especially in the first world. Signed anonymously, Demos Lent 2022. So this shows us the Francis fatigue in the Vatican. It shows us that people are tired. It's been since 2013 under the, I will call it this, tyrannous pontificate of Francis Bergoglio. I would say the worst pontificate in the history of the Catholic Church. Yeah, but they were there's some like really bad ones in the medieval and the Renaissance, like Alexander VI. Yeah, but those popes, di- they may have had concubines, evil, bad, mortal sin, They may have lived luxuriously, wasted money, funded some wars, but these bad popes, and there were some bad ones, especially you go back like in the 900s, so bad they called it the pornocracy of the papacy. That's how bad it was. You had prostitutes, brothels. They didn't change the faith. You know, they didn't come out and say a dude can marry a dude. We want to bless dudes and dudes like they do in Germany. They didn't say "Eh, if you're in mortal sin or you're in a non-sacramental marriage and you're sexually active, you can keep receiving communion. Amoris Laetitia. They didn't say, hey, check out this idol I brought over from the new world. Isn't it cool? Let's put it up inside of a church and process around with incense with this idol that I just brought from the Aztecs. No, they didn't do this. The problem with this pontificate is that it has idolatry, heresy, and scandal. And I would add tyranny, canonical tyranny. But the worst of it all is the heresy. Because the papacy, the papacy must be orthodox. I've said it before. Robert Bellarmine, John Henry Newman, So many other saints, cardinals, have said that if a pope is a manifest heretic, he de facto falls from the papacy. So let's talk about that. Yes, let's talk about the next conclave, getting an orthodox, traditional, true pope. But let's talk about this big problem of heresy, idolatry. In our current midst, you know, we just can't hold our nose and just wait for all this to end and then get a new pump. No, it's going to it's going to keep going. You kick the can down the road. The can is down the road. Let's pick the can up. Recycle the can and now have trash on the street. How about that? All right. Well. I'm going to come back in a little bit. It's time to give away the beautiful rosary to one of our Patreon supporters. I can't wait to do that. I was supposed to, I was going to said I was going to do it on Saturday, but then there's people who wanted to be part of it. So I delayed. So we're going to do it today. I'm going to come back with my two daughters, Margaret and Elizabeth. They're going to draw a name uh, from the Patreon people. If you want to support the work I'm doing in this channel, go to patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall and sign up and support. This work. I'm also writing a major work, a magnum opus right now. It's up to 80,000 words as of today at the coffee shop this morning. And uh, those of you that support on Patreon are allowing me to write this book. So you are part of that. If you want to be part of that work, go to patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. And you'll also be signed up to win some amazing stuff like the rosary. Do I have a picture of it? Yep, here it is. This is the rosary I'm giving away today from Seraphim from Rosaries. And uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. I think it retails for $400. This is like you give to your daughter on her wedding day rosary. Or on ordination. I mean, it's. I mean, I do pray on them. Like on Easter Vigil, I brought my good seraphim rosary and prayed on it. But it's the kind of rosary you just don't throw in the washing machine. It's gorgeous. So we're going to give that away today. So stay tuned for that. And thanks for thanks for watching. If you like this video, please give it the thumbs up. Do it now. What are you waiting for? Get the likes up. And share it. You are my algorithm. Things may be getting up better on Twitter, but they're not over on this platform. The one that starts with the why? No, we are constantly restricted and throttled. So you are my algorithm. If you want people to see this content, you must actively share it. There's a share button underneath this video. Hit share and then share it on Twitter. Better share it on Facebook or just text it. Share it to your friends and family. I appreciate that. And of course, subscribe and hit the bell and when you hit the bell, you'll be notified whenever I go live. So, please do that. And I thank you for subscribing. Welcome to the channel. We'll close with a Hail Mary, which we will pray for Francis Bergoglio and for the restoration of all things in Christ in the church. And then we'll sign off. Oremos, Nomeni Patris. Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus Tecum, benedicta Tu in molieribus et benedictus fructus ventris Tu, Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pro nobis peccatoribus nunc et et mortis nostre. Amen. St. Pius X, pray for us. nomini Patris et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Well, friends, pray that rosary every single day. If you don't pray the rosary, you are not on the team. Let's pray the rosary. Let's get close to Christ. Go to confession every two to four weeks. Wear the brown scapular. Wear the St. Benedict's medal. Wear the miraculous medal. Read the Bible every day. Find a traditional Latin mass. Read old books. Read the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Reprogram your catechesis. Teach your kids in the Baltimore Catechism. What am I missing? Find and discover traditional priests, traditional formation, And get yourself to heaven. Until next time, remember our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and God speed. Thanks for watching. If you like this, please subscribe in the upper right corner and then watch the next recommended video.